Whether you have a skin interest, a skin query, a skin trauma, or skin disease, I warmly welcome you to Heal Thy Skin, a podcast brought to you by Derm Health Co. I'm Marnie, dermal clinician, dermoscopist, and your podcast host. Skin is deeper than beauty, and our mission is to build the largest platform of specialized practitioners focused on skin health and skin empowerment. Join me each week where we go deep into the skin and beyond to hear stories and education from leading practitioners on a journey of skin health. Hello, welcome to the Heal Thy Skin podcast. I'm Marnie, your host, and today I'm speaking with Georgia Gardner, who is the secretary of the Australia Alopecia Areata Foundation. Since the age of four, Georgia has been living with Alopecia Areata Universalis, which causes complete hair loss on your scalp and body. And she's been a volunteer with the AAAF since her teenage years. The a foundation was founded in 2010 and the purpose was really to improve the lives of people living with alopecia areata and their families through education and workshops and fun events. They're really striving to eradicate the inequality of those with alopecia areata within our schools, our work environments and our governments and really to raise awareness about the condition and provide a safe and enjoyable space for its members. I started by asking Georgia what she thought was the biggest misconception about alopecia. That's definitely a challenging one to answer just because there's quite a lot of misinformation out there. I'd say probably one of the biggest ones is I think the difference between the terms just alopecia and the term alopecia areata, where alopecia refers to any hair loss, any kind of medical condition that can cause hair loss, whereas alopecia areata is referring specifically to the autoimmune disease and the various kind of forms that it can take. Yes, and we're going to talk about more of those today as well. But what is alopecia areata? So alopecia areata, as I mentioned, is an autoimmune condition that causes hair loss to the scalp and body. So that often presents first in some small patches of hair loss and it may stay as just a single or just a couple of patches. And it can go away quite quickly. For most people, in fact, it does. But it can also, I guess, expand from there, including covering the whole body. There are different terms for the different types of alopecia. Some people may have heard of alopecia areata totalis, which is total loss of hair on your head, or alopecia areata universalis, which is the entire body, including like the brows and eyelashes, and even like things like nose and ear hair, which is surprisingly helpful, actually. So it's a pretty diverse condition. Yeah, depending on the progressiveness. And when someone is diagnosed with alopecia areata, are they always going to progress to that, you know, complete loss of hair? Certainly not. In fact, most people who experience alopecia areata will only have a relatively small, like maybe one patch or a couple of patches. And it usually does clear up within a year or a couple of years. Obviously, some people it can get more severe than that. And it can be difficult to predict which kind of camp people will fall into. But the majority of people who experience the condition do have it for a relatively short time frame, but it can also be lifelong. Yeah. So tell us about your story, Georgia. Yeah, absolutely. So I first started losing my hair when I was very young, probably about three or so. My parents were doing my hair and noticed that I had some patches. It took us a while to get an actual diagnosis from 
country New South Wales and just old enough that this was all sort of pre-Google. So it was a little bit difficult for us to get an official diagnosis and information about our treatment options then. My hair did grow back for a little bit when I was about, when I was about eight, I, I grew my hair back and then it fell out again. And I've had alopecia areata universalis now for really most of my life. So in that initial stages, being in Country Vic, what were the type of providers, practitioners that you were seeing and what was some of the diagnoses that were perhaps being theorised at that time? So a lot of this I've kind of gotten the information from my parents kind of, I really don't remember any of it. So being in Country New South Wales, we had to travel into Sydney, about a, I think about a seven hour round trip, which Certainly shorter than some people have to travel, but definitely challenging at the time with a fairly uh, rambunctious young person in the car. And we were given some treatment options, but a lot of them, especially at that time, were fairly severe in terms of the side effects with relatively poor rates of success. A lot of things have changed in the 20 or so years since then, so I don't want to put anybody off if they're hearing this. But certainly at the time, the recommendations that we were given were not ones that my parents felt really comfortable going with. I was very young. One of the options was steroid injections, which can be quite painful, or oral steroids, which as someone who's still growing and developing, there are obviously some concerns there. And one of the options was a a topical treatment which sensitizes the skin, makes it quite uncomfortable. My parents were told, put it on her skin, don't let it touch any of the rest of her skin, just her scalp, because it's going to be dreadfully painful. And they're like, well, why would we put it on her scalp then? Yeah, it's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? Yeah, it's when you do get into the science, it does hold up, but it's certainly one that there's a lot of side effects and sort of discomfort for that treatment option. So it's not one that I think many people these days, as many people I think, recommend. Yeah, okay. And so as being diagnosed quite early, even before that preteen kind of age, were there certain treatments and, and things that you tried as a teenager? I know, you know, for example, having acne as a teen, you try all different types of things. Were there some bizarre and crazy things that you tried yourself that was not necessarily evidence-based, but you might have found from some, you know, glossy magazines and things like that? So I actually haven't really tried many of the treatment options myself. There certainly are some out there. I mean, the old wives tales about saying onion juice on your head, that's a popular one. And certainly there's a lot of people out there who believe that it's caused by stress, which is more complicated than that. But yeah, no, I've never personally jumped in on any of those sort of treatments in part, I think because I've had it for so long. There's a kind of different experience of losing your hair once you're a teen or an adult and you can identify with how you look and how you feel about that versus losing your hair when you're so young, you don't really have that sense of self yet. So I didn't really have that kind of difficulty. I did certainly wear a lot of wigs when I was like into my teens. There was a lot of, I guess, more of my coping strategies were around how it looks rather than trying medical treatments. But yeah, it certainly didn't have been a process in working through I think, more the emotional impact of it than trying to find treatments. Yeah, of course. What are some of those things that you've done over the years too? Because while it does have the element of an autoimmune disorder, and that may differ for different people, but the cosmetic effects, because children can be harsh children can sometimes think or say exactly what they're thinking what were some of those coping strategies that you found were useful 
being a young child and, and young adult that might be beneficial for someone today that has been diagnosed with alopecia areata? That's a great question. I think you've really hit on a, a really key thing that a lot of kids will just say whatever they're thinking. So a lot of times when I was younger, kids would say, oh, you're bald or, oh, you're wearing a headscarf. And at the time when I was young, I used to feel like that was being bullied. But I think as I grew older, I kind of got to understand that kids will just point things out. And that's part of how they learn and how they process. And for me, part of the learning process was understanding the difference between intentional bullying and kids who don't know any better asking questions or pointing something out. And a big part of what was helpful as a young person was getting information out to those people. We did some like talks at schools and that's something that the AAAF, who I volunteer with now, are really passionate about, getting information out through schools or youth groups so that there is less of those questions asked, but also so that young people with alopecia feel able to answer those questions without feeling, I guess, targeted or bullied by them. Yeah, education is so key, isn't it? Because often, especially children, they might feel a sense of fear or uncertainty because they simply don't know what's happening. And do you notice, for example, either colleagues from the AAAF or yourself, if you're in public, children, like how is that now approached because we've spoken to appearance activists and things on the podcast and there's this sense of sometimes you don't want to be stopped in the supermarket to tell a child who is uneducated about a certain skin condition when you're just trying to buy your milk and things like that. So are there some things that you personally or the association recommend for either parents with children that have seen someone with alopecia areata or on the opposite side effect of maybe a child and, and some of the things that they can say to those that are asking them questions? Yeah, that's another fantastic question. I, I've definitely had that experience as well. As I mentioned, I did wear wigs through sort of my teens, but I don't these days. And there was definitely a period there where I got a lot of questions when I was out in public. Personally, I don't find it as frustrating when it's from a kid or when it is a question from a kid you know I've been on been on the tram here in Melbourne and a kid will ask sort of mommy why that lady got no hair and sometimes the parents respond and they, they may not be correct I know one instance actually the parent explained they were like do you remember when we shaved our head to raise money for that charity foundation they thought that's what I'd done so they explained that to the kid well it wasn't correct it was still giving them and piece of information, it was still really destigmatizing that they just responded to it like it was a normal thing. Whereas I've also had experiences where a kid will ask the same kind of question and the parent will be like, no, shush, don't talk about it. You can't acknowledge it. <laughs> and it's really, I think that makes me more uncomfortable because clearly the parent feels uncomfortable. I certainly find it a bit more frustrating when there are adults who come up and say things to me partly because a lot of the time that tends to be misinterpreting the condition as related to cancer. Some people will come up to me and start telling me about their cancer journey or how they've lost somebody. And while I'm very sympathetic to what they're going through, it's certainly been challenging to sort of know how to respond to that in a way that's polite and empathetic, but still sort of establishes my boundaries with what I want to talk about and share with them. In terms of advice for anybody out there, I guess my first point of call would be that the AAAF does have some really great information on how to talk to kids about alopecia, how to educate people. 
We have some great information on our blog about how to respond to questions and comments. Some of that's designed for adults and some of it's designed for kids. So there is information out there. I think a lot of it is thinking about before it happens, before your approach, when you're just in a comfortable environment, thinking about how you would like to respond. What is it that you want to do? Do you want to educate people? It's fine if you don't. If you want to say, actually, I'm not comfortable talking about that. Thank you. But I'm going to continue buying my milk. That's totally fine. And I think knowing what you want to do in an interaction is actually going to be the best thing for making sure that you're prepared when that time does come. Yeah, that's really good advice because as we know, sometimes for alopecia areata, people can lose their hair really suddenly. So they might not have been able to have that process of, okay, well, this is me, the same person, but I might be, you know, spoken to differently in different scenarios. And it's really important to prepare yourself for that. Absolutely. It's, I've been really lucky in that my condition, though it did come on really young, has always moved really slowly. Even when I've started had it grow back at times, or I've had my eyebrows come and go sometimes, it generally changes its mind pretty slowly. I'm going to touch wood on that because it can change its mind at any time. But some people certainly lose their hair extremely quickly. I know some of the kids from our, from our support groups and our camps, they've lost all of their hair within about two weeks. So that's obviously a pretty dramatic change to go through and it's not a lot of time to process. So yeah, I think that if there are people wanting to know how you can ask somebody about it on the street, I think my advice would probably be not to, unless it's somebody that you know and are friends with, if you have an existing relationship with someone, I probably just wouldn't ask people about their appearance in general. It's something that not a lot of us have a lot of control over. And it can be really confronting when people ask questions about all sorts of effects of our appearance. Well, I always think of it that we wouldn't ask someone about their mental health condition in public, would we? We wouldn't ask someone for their medical diagnosis if it was not visible. So why would we do that if it is visible? I think that's a really great way to compare it. And I think, I mean, one of the common comments that people do if they, if they do ask you about your hair loss and I tell them that it's alopecia areata, don't worry, I don't have cancer. They'll always respond with, oh, thank God. Thank God it's not cancer. And I'm like, don't get me wrong. I'm also grateful that my condition isn't something that actually limits my health. But I always think of if somebody had eczema and somebody asked about it, I don't feel like somebody would come up and be like, oh, well, thank God it's not leprosy. It's just like, that's just not how we think about other conditions. But when something looks similar to something else, there's somehow people make this gap that it's just like reasonable to comment on. And I think that can actually make people feel, especially if they're struggling with their condition, whatever it is, if people are like, oh, well, at least it's not worse. People can feel really guilty about the fact that they're struggling and that they need help. And I think that can actually limit how people access support services. Yeah, it's a really good point to make and important as well. So you've been volunteering with the AAAF since your teenage years. How did this start? Yeah, so when I was in my final year of high school, I was working on a class project that I wanted to do about alopecia. And I had alopecia for years, but I hadn't Googled it in a long time because when you've been living with something for a long time, you tend not to look it up all that much. But because I was doing this project, I popped it in and I found that the year prior, a foundation had started up that was a national group. They were working in a bunch of different support groups. And 
I got in touch with them to work on this project, but through that, I kind of built a relationship with some of the other volunteers and the people who were there at the very start. And when I was getting ready to go away to uni, I really wanted to be involved. And I happened to be moving to the city where we were founded, which is down here in Melbourne. And yeah, I've been able to be involved ever since. I started as a youth support ambassador. I worked a lot with talking to other young people who were going through the same thing, talking to parents and families and how they can support their young people in their life. And I think about five years ago, I became the foundation secretary. So I do a lot of our social media things, a lot of our sort of awareness raising and helping our different volunteers. We're quite a big, I want to say we're a big, small organization. We have a pretty small team, but we do a lot with that. We've got branches and support groups in every Australian state in the ACT. We don't have the Northern Territory yet, but if there's anybody with alopecia areata in their life who would like to help us expand our support there, we'd love to hear from people. But yeah, the Australia Alopecia Areata Foundation is all about providing support, funding research, and championing awareness into alopecia areata. Fantastic. And how did it start? I always love to hear about how associations start because it's always so grassroots and and then years later, it, you know, they're always growing on volunteers and it's just incredible to see how they expand nationally on the support of volunteers and other programs that they run. So I'd love to hear about those beginnings if, if you are able to. I think everything you've just said there is absolutely correct for how our story has happened and how AAAF has developed and grown. So our founder and president is Shell Campbell, and I guess our story starts with her and her family here in Melbourne. Shell's son has alopecia. He first started losing his hair when he was two. And there really wasn't a lot of support when they first started. They did get in touch with a few other local people who also had the condition, but there certainly wasn't a national body. There wasn't a lot of coordinated research. Again, when she was first going through this, it was in the before Google times. So it was a lot harder to connect with support than I think it is for a lot of people now. And Shell worked with other people for, you know, some years, but really wanted a coordinated and whole of Australia kind of organisation that could get everybody the support that they need, no matter where they're based. And that's really how it's grown from there. We originally just had the one group here in Melbourne. Now we've got support groups in every state. We do a huge range of different uh, support programs and awareness. We collect hair donations to be made into wigs. We provide grants for young people to have access to wigs. We run an annual kids camp, unfortunately not this year, but that's always a big part of our calendar in general. And in general, we do a lot, I think, to make sure that people with alopecia areata and their families know that they're not on their own in this journey. One of the questions that used to be emailed in you know, every week when we first started was, am I the only person with this condition? I've never met anyone. I've never heard of anybody going through this. We don't hear that now. And I think that seems like a, maybe a strange metric to use for success, but I think it really speaks to how much more connected people are, how much more awareness there is of the condition. That's so fantastic. And it's so common among many skin conditions and other health conditions as well, is that when someone is diagnosed with something, that sense of isolation can be the biggest challenge because you really do feel so alone. You don't know who else to talk to, especially someone that can relate to what you're going through as well, because sometimes friends and family members 
as amazing and supportive as they can be, it's just not the same as someone that has walked in the same shoes as you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think being able to talk to people who've been in the same boat, who've been able to go through that journey and even just being able to make jokes about the part of it that are kind of funny and hilarious without that being somebody who doesn't understand making jokes about our condition. I think there's a real camaraderie to connecting with other people who are in the same sort of situation you are. And as you mentioned, like, I think especially for skin conditions and anything that really affects our appearance, it's really personal and it can be very challenging to, I guess, go through these really subjective personal experiences and the people around us maybe want to be supportive and they want to be, you know, as loving and caring as they can, but they don't necessarily know all the ins and outs of it. And sometimes things that they can say, as I mentioned earlier, things like, oh, well, it could be something worse, you know, while it's true that, you know, it's important to find silver linings when you can. And I think for many skin conditions, they are not necessarily damaging to our health, not all, but some, but it's still really hard to tell somebody when they're going through something difficult and really personally challenging how they feel about themselves and their appearance. If somebody's like, oh, why don't you cheer up? It sounds really difficult for us to hear. So connecting with people who are in the same experience and can really relate is something I'd really recommend to anybody wherever, whatever stage of the journey that they're at. And I think the next sort of thing I'd add to that is I think a lot of people see support groups for health conditions in general, but particularly things that can be emotionally challenging, you know, as people sitting around in a circle talking about how sad they are. <laughs> And that's absolutely not what we do. And it's not what I think most support groups are like. While there is that kind of care and support, if people are in the space that need that, engaging with the support group is actually a really empowering and usually a very positive and fun experience. As I mentioned, we do a lot of events, things like camps for kids, pizza nights and pamper days for the ladies. And we do lots of different things that are fun and empowering. And there's opportunities to talk about support and care if that's what people need. But it doesn't have to be a negative or sad thing. It's a positive thing to engage with a support group. Yeah, that's wonderful. I'd like to hear a little bit more about some of those activities that you're doing and that are coming up. But I also heard that you mentioned that you help support those that may be wanting to get wigs or headwear. And I think it's important to talk about headwear and wigs as well, because there's so many different types, whether that be synthetic, natural hair, a mix, different headwear options. Then we've got the sun protection factors. So what is some of the advice from the AAA F in regards to the most common or preferred options for headwear if someone is going to choose to use them? Yeah, I can definitely talk about that. I think headwear and I guess the appearance management side of alopecia is a really important part of people's journey. It certainly was for me. I went through a long period of wearing wigs and I also went through a long period of always using makeup to create my brows and lashes. And I think that that's something that a lot of people find very empowering. For me, it's been something that I've kind of moved away from the more confident and comfortable I've gotten with alopecia, but I think it's been a huge part of my journey and I think it's a really positive step for people that are coming to terms with a big change in their appearance. So I guess in terms of advice for headwear, the first thing that I would say is if anyone's making decisions about whether to wear wigs or scarves or go without or have their, their bare head or their patches out, it's completely your decision. 
there's no right or wrong way to do it. And I think sometimes people can feel pressured in one way or another. They can feel like, oh, they should wear a wig because that might make them, you know, feel more normal or they should go without it because if you're wearing a wig that's fake or something like that. And I think both of those are not true. Wigs are something that can help. Um, hair pieces are something that can help. Wearing scarves and any of those kind of tools, they're just that. They're just tools. They're resources that can support you. And if they're what works for you, that's fine. If they're not, that's fine too. There's no right way to do it. We do recommend in terms of taking care of your skin and hair in terms of things like sun protection, as you mentioned, also making sure that if you've lost your eyebrows and eyelashes, there's some additional care we'd recommend for like your eye health and things like that. But I think that a lot of focus gets put on, I guess, the right type of wig. And I'd always want to reframe that as what's the right type of tool for you. And in terms of finding information and advice that's more specific than that, again, the AAAF website's a really good place to go. We have a page all about wigs, which has general information about some of the different types and the language that gets used. If you're just started looking for wigs, it can be super overwhelming what the different words mean. We have some frequently asked questions videos that are really, really great. They talk through um, a lot of the things that people might have on their mind. We also have some information about different, there's some state subsidy programs and different private health insurance options around wigs and hair pieces. So there's a lot of different information out there that we've kind of got a bit of a collection to help people sort through. That's fantastic. Just for anyone that would like to find out more information, Georgia will let us know where to find that information at the end, but it'll also be in the show notes for the description of this episode as well. Uh, Georgia, I'd love to hear some of your favourite stories or activities that you've been involved in since joining the AAAF, which has been quite some time now. Oh, yeah. I have a real love for being able to engage directly with the the kids and the young people. Having come up with alopecia myself as a young person, it can be quite challenging in teenage years. I think teenage years can be rough for anybody. And when you have something that you feel like makes you different or maybe make you stand out from your peers can be really challenging. So I've certainly had a few of the young people and families that I've gotten to know quite well. Um, I've done talks at schools that are really always really positive. I think, I guess from one story, I, uh, this is quite a few years ago when I was a youth support ambassador. I did a talk at a, a school here in Melbourne. I went along with my wig, which is really, really long brown hair and looks extremely natural. And I sort of started the talk talking about alopecia and what it was. And to make sure I had their attention halfway through the talk, I pulled my hair off and kept going. And it was really fun sort of seeing the kids' reaction to that, talking them through. You know, when I first pulled my hair off, I think there was one little boy that was a bit, you know, the kind of like class clown kind of antics. He he made a little joke when I first did it. But after we kind of talked through what it was, how people can't control how they're hair might be people can't control their appearance we talk through like how would you feel if somebody maybe made some unkind comments based on how you look do you think that would be okay at the end of the session this little boy came up to me and the little girl with alopecia who I was there on behalf of her and her family and he gave us both a hug and said I think you're both really beautiful and it was just very sweet sort of seeing the the turnaround in this really sweet little kid and I, I love being able to sort of be in person with the kids I think 
we do a lot of our work online. We are largely remote, especially this year. But being able to do things like that at schools or our annual kids camp is a really exciting one. Last year, we had, I think, over 100 kids from across Australia getting together. We were up in the Gold Coast and you can see these kids get together for the camp and the first day they don't really know each other they don't really they can feel a little bit you know it's a new experience for them it can be a bit of a fish out of water but by the end of the camp they're such good friends they're like the hugs goodbye were, were really kind of heartbreaking they bonded so quickly and made such good friends and I know that many of those kids have stayed in contact throughout the year and have a lot of the boys play video games together. A lot of the girls are all over the social media with each other. And it's just really, really nice knowing that we've been able to facilitate those kind of connections. I myself didn't get to meet many other young people with alopecia when I sort of was in high school and certainly not within primary school. So being able to, I guess, be there for other young people in a way that I wish that I'd had that kind of support, that's definitely my favourite part of it. Yeah, how special just those relationships that are harbored just by bringing kids together that have, you know, a common, not so much interest, but, you know, a, a common journey. And just thinking about that story of you standing up in front of all those children and, and removing your wig halfway through. And I was just thinking how empowering that is because kids look up to adults so much. And for you to stand there and be so confident to do that, it just, I can imagine, gives a sense of empowerment to children on all kinds of levels that oh my goodness here's an adult and she's just so comfortable and confident within herself which is what I think so many more kids need these days with all the types of things that are happening due to social media and the way that we look and and fitting into a certain criteria as well. George I'd love to hear about some of the events that are coming up for the Alopecia Awareness Week in November. I'm sure they're looking a little bit differently this year due to you know what's currently happening in the world but I'm sure they're amazing all the same. Yeah, so we have Alopecia Areata Awareness Week coming up. It's always in mid-November. This year it's from the 14th to the 22nd of November. Unfortunately, this year we haven't been able to have our kids camp, which is usually our biggest activity, but we will be having events in all of our state support groups. They're able to have them in person. I know that we'll have some, I think we're having some sort of social catch-ups over in WA. We've got a pizza night in the ACT. We've got a few different events happening in Adelaide, including I think they're doing a bit of a mini, mini camp for the locals there on one of the days. We will also be doing a fun run and a pamper night in New South Wales. And in Victoria, we'll be having some remote online events and a few different kind of competitions and giveaways, seeing that we can't all well be into, seeing as we can't all be together in person. We have lots of different activities because our community is really diverse. We've got a lot of families and young people, we've got teenagers, and we also have adults that are impacted by this condition. AAAF also do run a men's and boys support group, which I think is a really important thing to raise as well. We're getting a lot better in terms of the awareness of how conditions like alopecia areata affect women and girls, but there can be a bit of a misconception that the condition is easier for men and, or easier for young boys. And that's not always true. I think that a lot of the, there's a bit of a stigma around reaching out for support and help for young men and that can actually be really dangerous. So we make sure that we have events and we have support ambassadors and support groups for young men that are being impacted by this condition as well. Mm, that's fantastic. And so if people would like to get involved or participate, 
how can they find out more information? Is it just for those that do have alopecia areata or is there fundraising and things that other people can get involved in as well? There's absolutely ways everybody can get involved. In general, for finding any information about alopecia, about what our foundation does or about Awareness Week, I encourage people to head to our website, which is aaaf.org.au. So that's aaaf.org.au. We have a lot of information up there. You'll be able to find our support groups that are local to people's areas. We'll have our events page all up to date with all of the details. And we'll also have information about how people can raise funds, which are really important to helping us. We support a lot of research, which is both into the medical side of alopecia and the psychological quality of life impacts. So there's a lot of different ways that people can support us and get involved. We are actually this year in AAAF's 10th year. So we are hosting some birthday parties for AAAF and there are opportunities for fundraisers if people would like to host their own birthday party, bring along, you know, some cake and some games and donate a little bit of funds to helping us help other people with alopecia areata. That's definitely something people can do. That's fantastic. Well, thank you, Georgia. I'd love to, just before you go, hear a few pieces of advice on behalf of you that is important for those that may be living with alopecia areata? Oh, if I had to summarize a couple of pieces of advice, I think the number one would be like, if you're living with alopecia areata, whether as somebody who has it themselves or a family member supporting a loved one, you're not on your own. It can feel really isolating, but there are literally thousands of people around Australia that have this condition. It's actually extremely common as far as rare diseases go up to two percent of the population will have this at some point in their lives so that's about half a million Australians and I think if I had another piece of advice it would be to really understand what you want and what you need and don't worry about what's the right way to deal with things or what people are telling you you should be doing what works for you is what works for you and you should feel empowered to do that in a way that supports you to get through your life confidently comfortably however that works for you. That is great. Well, thank you so much, Georgia, for spending your time with us today, sharing your story and the amazing work that the AAAF are doing as well in Australia. No worries. Thank you so much for speaking with me and helping to raise awareness as well. It was great. Thank you. What a fantastic conversation. I really enjoyed speaking with Georgia and hearing about the incredible things that have been done with the AAAF since her teenage years. It is just a a reminder, I guess, if we have experienced a condition or if we feel really strongly about a certain cause, there's likely going to be a foundation out there that really would benefit from your support and from your volunteering and your creativity as well. Not only can it help other members, but it can also be really life enhancing to you. And Georgia shared uh, lots of really great resources and activities that are being done by the foundation. So if you or someone that you know experiences alopecia and they're feeling like there might be a lack of a support network, then absolutely get in touch. There's things that happen around the country. All the links are in the show notes. And I'd really appreciate that if you do know of someone that 
may be experiencing alopecia areata or they might have a child or they might have a friend or family member that does, share this episode with them because it might just help them connect with a a group of those that have worked walked in their shoes. Thank you for sharing your earbuds with me for another episode and until next week, be skin powered.